Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes, such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss, and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's show, I am delighted to welcome Sophie Solaria. Sophie is a host of and the director of content for The Fertility Show. She also works as a freelance podcaster, journalist, and has been a fertility patient herself. Sophie and the team at The Fertility Show are excited to be launching their own podcast, Let's All Talk Fertility, on the 30th of September. Sophie, welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. Thank you for having me. Sophie, could you start just by talking us through your own fertility story? It was so long ago and it's so many years of it, actually. My husband and I got together in a fairy tale whirlwind romance, met at work, got engaged, bought the house, all of the above. As you can imagine, uh, everything was going swimmingly. And then just after our honeymoon, we decided to start trying for a baby. And that part of life wasn't happening. And I didn't leave it very long before I realized something was wrong because I started to join the dots at that point. It'd only been three or four months, but I just knew that something was was more sinister than just it takes a bit longer. I was early 30s. I was 31. It shouldn't have been as long as it, it was taking. It felt like something was definitely wrong. And I had started to have really quite heavy periods in the couple of years leading up to this moment and also quite a lot of tummy pain. So when it wasn't happening for us, I gave it three or four months and I said, something's not right. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to pay and see somebody because I just don't think, I don't, I don't think this is going to work without checking what's wrong. And lo and behold, on an ultrasound scan, and I'm not even talking the internal sort, I'm talking the the one that, that you use on the old tummy. I was just riddled with endometriosis. Uh, huge amounts of it. And I was told in that moment that I'd be very lucky if I was to get pregnant naturally, which to be honest, I didn't believe. I just went into denial. Johnny had a real moment at that moment. Johnny's my husband. He had a real moment in that moment and had to sit down and really struggled with it, uh, knowing that actually this might be a long road for us. I was completely oblivious at that time. So what proceeded then was something that would never happen now, which I'm glad to say, but also heartbroken to say, because the this is the NHS, they went in to my body to essentially laser up the endo. But with a 31-year-old woman, you should never do that without an egg collection first, which you would never have happened nowadays. And this was only in, what, 2015 or whatever. So it's quite surprising how much we've advanced since then, actually. And I'm glad to say that. And I will always give that advice to any woman. You know, you make sure you preserve your fertility before doing something like that. I was advised by the gynecologist to have the operations, have the laparoscopies. And I did that a few times. But then, of course, my egg reserve was completely depleted. And what then lay forward for us were rounds and rounds and rounds of IVF, not with particularly good odds or chances, very low eggs 
collected, although, you know, they weren't such bad quality, the ones that were collected, they were just very few. And ultimately, it took a long, long time before, you know, anything was happening for us. I, in the end, I did manage to have two beautiful children. But I have to say that we got to a point with our journey where I'd shared quite a lot leading up to this and I'd shared my emotional toils and what was happening with treatment. And by the time it got to the point, and I'm talking 10 years later, where we finally had our two children, I really shut down on it all. And I do very little media with regards myself. Now I have joined the fertility show with a almost like a an expert hat on and I do lots for the show and I love the show. The show really helped me in many, many ways and I've got a real fondness for the show. But I have to say in terms of my children, I've now stopped talking about anything to do with their story moving forwards because it's their story now. But I just, all I know is that it is just the worst thing I've ever experienced and I feel for anyone that's in the throes of it because it's so tough. That I have to say that does explain why when I was doing the research for the show I couldn't really find any information on your children and that explains that because I thought I'd lost all my research skills. I actually really appreciate you saying that. Like, you know it's funny because I, I even stopped talking about fertility full stop actually after my son four years ago. I actually decided It was something I just couldn't continue to talk about. And I say it every time I speak to anyone about fertility problems. I say it every time. It is hardly a physical problem compared to the emotional impact it can have on you. And I was in so many bad places. I tried so hard working with the BBC. I was really vocal about everything, really. But it got to a point for me where I was like, I can't talk about this anymore. I just... I need to just stop. And it's not that I'm not talking about it. I'm just so mindful now of everything out there. You can trace everything, can't you? It's each to their own. People should do what they need to do when it comes to their kids. But I've just decided I've embarrassed them enough. (laughs) They can talk about themselves (laughs) later if they want to and have their faces out there and do what they want to do. It's no secret I've got two kids, but it's just that's as far as I'm going now. Totally understand that. And like you've said, it, it's your journey. It's not their journey. It's it's your fertility journey. And it's obviously their part of that. But yeah, if they want to talk about things later on, then then they can. When I was researching, I was reading that obviously your mental health, like you've just mm. referred to, took a massive dive. And I think you said around three of your IVF, because it was at that point where you suddenly thought this might not work. Mm-hmm. This might not happen. I might not become a mum. Would you mind, particularly for the listeners that are in the thick of it, how your mental health kind of affected your day-to-day life in that time. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's the nice guideline thing, isn't it? They always say you have to give it three rounds and if it's not going to work after three, then it might not ever work. So for me, I mentioned previously that when we both heard it was going to be hard to have kids, Johnny it took it like a bullet and I couldn't understand that. I was like, this is this is going to be fine. There's IVF, to, we've got IVF, you know, this is in a, a science, a wonder. We're going to be okay. And obviously when, as you mentioned, round three came, I think that for me, I I really, it did hit me quite hard because I was just plugged up to the eyeballs on hormones. I was, I didn't know that at the time, but I know now I was also perimenopausal because I'd been put into an early menopause with the lack of eggs that I had at the time. But what I didn't know is that perimenopause lasts for 10 years. So the emotional elements of those things were kicking in. I was so, so low in times and anxious. I'd never experienced anxiety 
like that before. I didn't know what anxiety was really until then. It was just this fear of doing anything that would perhaps trigger me, you know. Um, And then when I was triggered, it would be at the times when I was least expecting it. So I wouldn't go to, I don't know, a dinner reservation in case on the way I saw a pregnant woman or walk around the baby aisle of the supermarkets. That's the stuff you can kind of plan for. It was the things you're not expecting, like a friend of a friend is having a baby and the announcement coming on Christmas Day. Those kind of things that floor you, you don't think it's going to impact you at all until you hear that someone else has got pregnant. It's not even in your vicinity. It's like twice removed. Mm -hmm. It's surprising what triggers. And that stuff I was never, I was never prepared for. I didn't, you know, I think it was 2016, I was extremely low. I ended up just not wanting to go anywhere and do anything and have just a very small life for a long time. And the only focus was the baby thing. And you do have to ride that wave, I think, because mm-hmm. you need to get to a point, I believe, where the worst is here, you're facing it, you know, it's not happening for you for whatever reason. And at that moment, you have to think, is this going to be the rest of my life? Am I, it's a choice now. Do I want to be this heartbroken? Or do I need to start thinking about what life would look like in a different way? What would life look like without children? You have to have those chats with yourself because... It's horrific what you're going through, but it's not going to be made any easier by you then putting yourself through the ring. You have to live as well. I can really relate to the way you just described it. And I love the way you just described it as living this small life. I haven't heard it explained that way before, but when you said that, my heart just completely plugged into that. Like I could 100% relate to that way of explaining it. It is exactly that. Everything shrinks to, am I ovulating? Am I doing the OPK test? Do I need to take any meds right now? And that's, it's a horrible thing to have to explain, but Mm. I can 100% to relate to how you explained that. You've said that you kind of just had to ride the wave. Is that what you did? Did you just battle through or was there anyone you could reach out to? Did you look for any help anywhere? Again, I'm just thinking for people in the thick of it. The first thing I did was started to uh, raise awareness. I approached Radio 4. I was working at the BBC at the time in local TV. And I approached Radio 4 and ultimately said, I think it would be really important if you did a piece on a person trying to have a baby, trying to get pregnant via IVF treatment and the sort of long road of that. They were actually doing a brilliant thing as it goes on adoption at the time on their World at One programme. PM took the story, essentially. We ran it with Eddie Mayer on t- for 12 episodes and then we made that into a podcast called Long Road to Baby. That was the first thing. Mainly I did that because I was sick of trying to hide it. It's far, far more talked about now. And there's many, many podcasts, but at the time there was zero. And I was sick of pretending that, that I was coping. You know, I was going into work and I was doing injections in the loo. And I didn't have anywhere to put the needles and I was carrying around a sharps bin and I didn't tell anyone. And then I told a couple of people, but ultimately it still felt like a sordid secret. And it wasn't just at work. It was now I was going to festivals and I was in the car taking medicine. I mean, it just went on and on and it felt so taboo. And anytime I brought it up to somebody, it felt like they would clam up and feel awkward. So I didn't bring it up. Nowadays, you can say I had my kids via IVF or you can say I'm adopting, I'm going through the adoption process. I wanted to have a conversation that was bigger than just with my friends and family to say it's okay to just say that this is a medical condition and you've got one. So yeah, for me, talking really helped and also talking therapy really helped. I'm a massive advocate for counselling. 
Johnny and I went through counselling with an amazing woman that everyone would probably know, the fertility counsellor, Tracy Sainsbury, although there are so many wonderful counsellors out there. You can go to the Beaker website and you can vet the ones that you want to speak to. But yes, we found it extremely beneficial to talk. Yeah, we are massive supporters of therapy on this pod. Like we 100% all in, definitely do it. And of course, exercise. I actually felt a lot better when I was in control Mm. of my eating and my fitness. It just makes you feel like you're doing something. The control. The control element of it, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but I know that so many of you are preparing for fertility treatment in 2024. So why not kickstart your fitness and fertility journey by signing up to my two-week free trial? You will have access to all of my fertility-focused training plans, meal plans, weekly check-ins and live workouts. For more information and to sign up to start your free trial, go to my website, fitnessfertility.com. And now back to the show. Following on from this, you've been through this massive trauma and you are now working via the fertility show in the fertility space. You now have your children, which is amazing. How do you find it working in the fertility space? Do you ever still get triggered? Because I know sometimes I still find it difficult sometimes. And I just Mm. wondered how you're getting on with it. I don't think you'll ever go through a fertility process and not be triggered by stuff it's not going to go away because you have your children it's not going to just disappear because time has gone on and it's been 10 years since or whatever whatever like I honestly think it's something that can change you not just for the worst for the better I think that I've got way more empathy I think about how I speak to people about their personal stuff now I feel like people can talk to me far easier about lots and lots of things, not just this, because I've changed as a person in that way. I grew up a lot when this all happened. I was working for the BBC, nothing to do with fertility. And then the cuts happened. I took early redundancy in 2020. And Laura, the MD of the fertility show, I was doing some bits with her anyway. And I said, looking for a bit more work. And she said, I would love your input on the fertility show. It is not my only job. I couldn't be the director of content for the Fertility Show without having lots of different hats in different places in many different fields to give me that break. The Fertility Show is hard for anyone that goes. It's the most fantastic, wonderful resource you will ever, ever imagine if you're going through this because you have a whole world of fertility experts at your fingertips in one day. You will never meet the amount of people that you would meet in this sector And you would never get so much support and find so much community, but it is a hard day. And I will always struggle at least once that weekend. I will always remember the reason I cried. So yeah, of course there's triggers. I mean, I still struggle with pregnancy announcements Mm. and it doesn't matter that I've had my kids. I still struggle if someone goes, oh, pregnant. You know, mm-hmm. it just how? How are you just pregnant? I just find <laughs> that you. so fascinating that it works like mm-hmm. that, you know. I do really struggle with that. And yeah, I mean, it's just sometimes stuff that you would never expect to trigger you, I suppose. Yep. As I say, a really nice conversation at the show about uh, somebody that had adopted and they did it because they'd come to the show and it just triggers me because how wonderful that it had helped, but also, wow, that's such a journey. You know, it could be anything, it really could. But mm. I do think that what overrides all that is the fact that we're doing such good work and that I can give back a bit to other people, just give them advice and, and tell them it mm. will finally be okay at some point. You're, yeah. just, you're just not sure when. 
And that's the kicker, isn't it? Like we always say, and I'm sure you've said it a million times, if I just knew that the Clomid would work, the IVF would work, that I will eventually have my children, at least I could go through the process saying, right, okay, this is going to work. It's mm. there, and I don't know if any of this is going to work. And that that's the thing that really, in some ways, makes it just so much worse. It's that uncertainty. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing, and it, it also helps me feel a bit better. It's the unexpected bits that get me. It's the unexpected triggers that I don't see coming. They're the ones that, that really floor me. I think anybody that can feel in control about anything, as I said to you before, if you know that you're going to dinner with somebody that's pregnant at the table, you can either decline to go, you can leave when you feel sad, or you can uh, go with the knowledge. But it's when you're at dinner and the pregnant woman walks past that you can't stop because you never knew it was going to happen. It is the unknown. It's the babies that come into work without any notice. I always say it, you you get an email round about the dishwasher not being emptied, but you won't get an email around to say a colleague's coming in with their newborn. <laughs> I remember that happened to me with a colleague who just had twins and it was after one of my losses, like not long after at all. I understand why she came in, but absolutely wiped the floor with me. Mm. It was just tough. She was just proud to show her babies off, you know, twins cute, mm. but didn't see it coming at all. Earlier, you mentioned about preserving fertility, basically, and this idea of they kind of went in when you were, I think, 31, you said, and to try and help with the endometriosis. And, and really, that was probably quite detrimental to your fertility overall. Mm. So we've asked a few people this question. Why do you think it is that we do not learn about this sooner? And in your opinion, how do we fix this? Because again, Roshan and I are very, very strong supporters of education. What are your thoughts around this? I couldn't agree more that fertility, menopause, should all be taught in school, mm -hmm. more on periods. I obviously don't know, being that I have been out of school for a long time and also I don't have children <laughs> of senior school age. I don't yeah. actually know what they do teach in school, so I don't, I'm not an authority on this. But <laughs> what I know is that what I was taught was nothing apart mm. from don't get pregnant. That was all I was taught. And I will never, I will never allow my daughter or my son to grow up thinking that I don't want them to get pregnant as soon as they know how to get pregnant, of course, but I do need them to know about the real age of fertility. I cannot tell you the amount of people that come to the show that are well into their 30s, hitting their 40s, sometimes their 50s, and they're desperate. They're desperate. And of course, of course, we're there to give every single piece of advice and we're there to do what we can. But you can't fight biology, can you? And if you don't know, if you have no idea that your fertile age drops down at 35 and drops down further at 40 and is off a cliff at 43, unless that's taught to you, how are we supposed to know that? And we are one of the only countries that aren't aware like this. We are so innovative in so many ways and in so many others we're backwards because Europe are teaching their kids this way earlier and you know clinics go into universities and teach this and really advocate for egg collections if you want to go on and have this career and be doctors and remember that you have only got a shelf life if you want children in the future and egg freezing is brilliant now I do remember like I said to my mum once I, I split up with a boyfriend and it was quite late on into my 20s. And I said, I don't know where this came from, this notion. But I said, Mama, maybe I should freeze my eggs. And my mum laughed at me. And she'll hate that I told the story, but she talks about it all the time. She's like, why didn't I listen to you? Why didn't I listen to you? There's something in you had that idea. Why didn't I say to you at the time, let's just go and get your fertility checked? Because, of course, 
the endometriosis wasn't helpful, but I already had diminishing egg reserve. Like it was the nail on the coffin and it probably wouldn't have been as detrimental had I not had the treatment, but I also had a relatively low egg reserve for my age. And if I'd known that in my 20s, oh, life would have been so different. This is like a whole other podcast episode, but we had Dr. Amy, the egg whisperer on, and obviously egg freezing is one of the many amazing things that she does. And it was just all the same. It was like, it's education. It's been told that egg freezing is an option, not coming to it later, like you've just said, and saying, oh, hey, you should have frozen your eggs. So it's, I think it's building it into the normal education, especially because we are, as women, we're living longer, we're working longer. You know, you're getting into your mid-30s and your career is beginning to get a bit of traction, very much in support of egg freezing. And yeah, I very much wish people would find out about it sooner and there'd be no shame around it. It would be nice if it became like a more normal thing to do. If you want to freeze your eggs, you can do that. Oh, absolutely. I'm a big fan of knowledge. Knowledge is power, isn't it? I honestly do feel like it's one of the tests that we should be doing, like a smear test as you get older. It's not, doesn't take that much to find out what your AMH level is or, or what your fertile age is. I feel like that needs to happen around 28, just so that people yeah. are aware you know, mm-hmm. and it, nowadays it's just a like a pinprick on the finger and you can just send it off and it's a hundred quid. I just feel like it's just knowledge we need. We have been beginning to talk a lot about femtech. It's just blowing up at the minute, isn't it? And I think partly because time is so crucial, money, this IVF malarkey is not cheap. Finger prick at home, send it away. That information is invaluable. That you, mm. that you get back from that test. And it's a quick and it's an easy way to do it. Just before uh, we ask you about your new podcast coming out, quick question about your endometriosis. Did you have any pain or indication other than the kind of abdominal pain? Were there any other symptoms that looking back, you might think, yeah. If you speak to my best friends from when they knew me from uni and early 20s, they kick themselves. There's one girl in particular that just says, why didn't we question the fact that Mm. when we went traveling, you couldn't leave the vicinity because of your period? Oh, yeah. Why didn't we question the severity of your periods? Why Mm. didn't anybody say that's not normal? Because if that Mm. was happening to my child, I would say, right, we need to go and see a doctor, right? But it was Mm. just accepted as a bad period because women get these bad periods. I had a coil fitted a couple of years before we started trying for a baby and my periods were out of this world and the pain was excruciating and I just put it down to the coil and it wasn't. But again, it was the education. I was told it was the coil. So it's just poo-pooed. Everything that a woman goes through, I feel like burning my knickers and my bra (laughs) um, and anything feminine, uh, tampons, whatever. I just feel like it's the same with menopause. We're just gaslit, aren't we? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's just what you got to get through. What do you mean? You're not strong enough to get through it? This is just your periods. It's just what you have to do. Deal with it. And it's just so rubbished all the time. And that is also why I work in this sphere. And I'm doing a lot in the menopause community as well now, because again, it's a third of our lives as women. It affects every single point of us from the tip of our hair to the bottom of our toes. And there's hordes of women that just think they're going crazy. Oh, I've got heart palpitations and I'm feeling really anxious. There's something going on with my heart and I'm getting these awful migraines and I'm getting, yeah, because it's, (laughs) you're losing your estrogen for 10 years before you go through menopause. There's lack of, there's so little knowledge and awareness around it. And I just feel like we all need to scream about, about it all. 
speaking of knowledge, it's the perfect segue. Could you tell us a little bit, I'm really excited actually about this podcast, so could you just tell us a little bit more about your Let's All Talk Fertility? Well, I believe you were at the show directly opposite the stage that I was on, I was hosting. I should have come and said hello, but did you see how busy it was? Oh, it was rammed. You were busy, we were busy. It was good though. What we decided off the back of doing one or two talks last year, this year Laura and I said, look, let's make a bigger thing of it. Well, Laura said it really. She said, you know, let's get as many people from Instagram that people watch, look up to, pioneers really, of people that have been through it, told the stories, help others to become ambassadors at the show, tell their stories, both with us and in the parlour workshops. Ultimately, they came and they told their stories on this stage. And I had done it the year before and knew how valuable these stories were. So this year, I was adamant it had to get recorded. I could see it as a podcast at the time. It's I find the clinicians and I find the doctors and the professors extremely knowledgeable and very, very helpful. But for me, I get so much out of that community, listening to people's real life stories, listening to people who have been there, done that, got the t-shirt, came out the other end and can give advice. Just an inspirational people that like NFM has gone on to adopt or solo mum Lola did it alone because she decided that she was sick of waiting for her prince to turn up. She just wanted a baby. (laughs) You know, all these people, the people that have lost babies and how they got through that and the IVF warriors and the donor conception and all of it. So everyone has a hat on and we've got all of the hats covered, all the bases and just to help really. And I have to say, obviously, Roshan and I were right opposite the stage and we got to hear a lot of what was going on and 100% they are stories worth listening to. And you took the words right out of my mouth. It's community. The sense of hope and the sense that you're not alone is the bit that carries you through, is how I feel. Mm -hmm. And that's the bit that keeps you going when you are perhaps at that third round of IVF and, and you don't know how to continue. And it's the community that helps you get through that. So the podcast, I am 100% sure, will be an incredible resource for people And of course, we're back in May, the show. Of course, yeah, absolutely. That is a big one. If you are going through a fertility journey of any kind, wherever you are, whether it's from the very beginning or whether you've come to the end of one road and you need another one, I cannot recommend it enough that you come to this place. As I said before, it is triggering. It can be really triggering, but we've acknowledged that. We've got places now. Parlour was just incredible. Their workshop space was just amazing. I don't know if you saw it. It was stunning for a start, all these like beautiful pieces of cloth floating about and these fairy lights (laughs) and people just could go in and do what they needed to do yoga journaling meditation just whatever it was just very very holistic and I love that I do love that there's obviously the people doing massages for free Mm -hmm. that's really Mm -hmm. good too and the coffee shop (laughs) so you know (laughs) we hear and and the let's all talk stage which is free too and very important resource as you say for the community element and like you said earlier you will never have that many experts in one place no absolutely not not unless you pay a lot of money yeah exactly i would advise that people listen to the podcast which is coming out on the 30th of september i also advise that you follow us at the fertility show and also sign up to our newsletters and blogs because you'll be the first to find out about show tickets but also my weekly webinar series called let's all talk fertility it's a 12-part series bi-weekly the lunchtime sessions on a Wednesday, one o'clock, and we're covering everything from what type of treatment and what clinics should I approach to going overseas for treatment, uh, adoption, surrogacy, egg freezing. We're doing a session on egg freezing, health and nutrition. We're basically 360. You can't 
get away from us. If you've got fertility <laughs> problems, we are there. Absolutely. Couldn't recommend highly enough. Knowledge is power. Sophie, I have loved our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. It was so nice to see Sophie again. The last time we obviously met her was at the fertility show and she just did an incredible job hosting the panel that we were watching and i love the idea that they're using both the show's content and the webinars to build real community and i think the thing that makes sophie such the kind of perfect host for this is because she's been through it she understands she gets it and that is one of the key things with community it's your best friend is your best friend, but if they haven't been through fertility, it's very hard for them to genuinely understand it. I think their podcast will be fantastic and it just give people a little bit of hope and a little bit of support. Like she said, the fertility show in London is fantastic. It's definitely worth a visit if you are still going through your fertility journey. I just think that this the story of getting through it is enough sometimes. And when you are listening to the stories from the fertility show, you'll find that everyone had kind of their own way and... Anything is possible. Completely agree. And again, if you go back and listen to some of the guests we've had on, a lot of them were also at Fertility Show. We've had Jessica Hepburn, we've had Amber Rizzo, we've had Tia Brown. All of those women have shared their own fertility stories and they are just so worth listening to because, yeah, it gives you that community and hopefully it'll just help you feel less alone. I talk about being less alone. Who will we be speaking to? next week. In next week's show, we will be doing our Q&A where we answer your most commonly asked fertility related questions. So do send them in on the socials, on Insta or at info at fitnessfertility.com and we will do our best to include them in the show. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week and please rate comment and really importantly share with your friends especially our trying to conceive sisters you never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help this may come as a surprise but we are not doctors we strongly recommend that you consult with your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program get everything checked out first your safety is our priority this has been a worth a listen production